welcome to Business of Design. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. The Business of Design podcast offers immediate, actionable strategies and a glimpse into some of the many field-tested, proven systems you can implement to transform your business and your life. After the show, head to businessofdesign.com and get started with the BOD 15-step project management strategy and six foundational programs. Together, they deliver the systems, procedures, and strategies you need to run a successful, highly profitable design business. There's no theory here. The complete BOD business model is yours through Business of Design membership. Business of Design. There's only one. And now, your BOD Advocate-in-Chief, Kimberly Selden. Well, hello there, you fabulous interior design professional. You are in the right place. This is Business of Design, and we have a sweet little episode today. You're going to hear a success story. Someone who went from getting fired in 2008, there was a lot of that going around, and decided like, "Mm, I think I better switch gears here and follow my passion. And it turns out her passion is making beautiful rugs. And she sells those gorgeous rugs to the design industry. And there's a story of conscious and moral ethics behind these rugs, which is why we thought it would be a great episode for the podcast. You're going to meet Julie Dasher of Julie Dasher Rugs. She creates these beautiful custom quality carpets, working directly with female weavers, particularly in Nepal. And she's joined forces with Goodweave, which is a seal of approval, noting that the carpets have been made ethically, they've been made morally, and you can feel good about making that purchase. So Julie is going to talk about how she took a side hustle and grew it into something bigger. She's got a lot of persistence, which I really, really admire. And then she's got really good business advice at the end at Design Intervention. I hope you listen all the way to the end to Design Intervention. Otherwise, you're missing some of the best parts of every podcast. I'm so happy you're here. We're going to quickly hear from Cheryl Horn and jump right into the episode. Number 308, Passionate Pivot. Well, hello there. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, packed. I'm ready to go. I'm going to Vegas, I'm told. Yes, you are. Hopefully for like a little bit of a vacation as well, maybe have some some personal time, but you're going to be pretty busy at the same time. On Monday, January 30th, you're going to be at Las Vegas Market talking about no more negotiating, and that's going to be at 11 a.m. And then the very next day, you're headed to Cabus, also in Las Vegas, to join Kohler for Unlocking Bold Innovation, and that's going to be at 1 p.m. in the Kohler booth. Details for both of these events are on our website. Uh, Make sure if you're planning to join us for Las Vegas Market, uh, the event is right inside market. So make sure that you are registered to attend. Yeah, good point. Actually, that would be terrible to show up and not be registered. Um, In addition, of course, to those two events, I'll be recording some podcasts on site uh, at uh, Cabus, is it, or at Market? Which one? Um, At Las Vegas Market. We actually do already have a couple of members lined up uh, to join you for that, which is going to be great. I know one of them is Kylie Dean, who's a boss member. So that's great because she's a local. And then who's the other one? Do you remember? You're also going to meet Michelle Burbage, who's also been a longtime member. And she's got a couple of ideas for the podcast. It worked out uh, really well that she had inquired about Las Vegas Market and some ideas for the podcast in one email. So I hit her up and I'm having her record both of those with you on that date. She's been with us for a little while as well. 
I love it. And then when the work is done, there's like 109 parties to go to, one of them a big 150th birthday party for Kohler, which I'm really looking forward to. But I think that means heels. I think, and I don't know the last time I had heels on, particularly in Las Vegas. That seems crazy. So they'll be definitely have runners in my bag. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. No, that'll be, that'll be fine. You're going to be fine in flats. I feel like people go to market if they've been before, they know to wear flats. Like that sort of like parties. Don't you still have an obligation to try, you know, pretend to care what you look like when you go to a party? (laughs) It's been a while since I've gone. I haven't been. Yeah, we last time we were at Las Vegas Market was for the conference, twenty twenty. Last time, and that was January of twenty twenty. If we only know before the world shut down, and now you're back. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Oh wow! And then I'm off to Australia. So for BOD, uh, fifteen intensive two day. Like we are going to put everything you need to know to run your business top to bottom, to run projects top to bottom in your head and in your hands in those two days. So it's not too late to sign up for that. And that is registration and full details are on the website for that one. Cannot wait, everybody sign up. I want to have lots of fun when I'm in Australia meeting our Aussie members. We have so many of them and you guys have been so terrific about um, supporting us and we appreciate that. I know. I'm excited for you to like some of the people who are already registered. I'm excited for you to finally meet face to face because they've been with us for so long. Oh, I really am too. And then after the, uh, my BOD time, uh, with members, et cetera, I'm heading to Bali. Finally, that yoga retreat that was planned for March of 2020 is finally happening, happening. So many people are doing trips now that have been like on hold for a couple of years that are finally like the the big trips that everyone had scheduled, you can now do them. So I'm excited for you and Janine to get to go and do that finally. All right. And next 2024, it's you and me in Australia. That sounds awesome. I will take it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Hey, Julie. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. I'm happy to be here. Well, and I was happy you were showing up because uh, this topic is so interesting to me. Female entrepreneurship, of course, and building a community around yourself to support the work you do with such passion. So first of all, tell everybody what you do. Well, I design area rugs and um, my husband and I have a family business and we have manufacturers in Nepal, Turkey, India, and Afghanistan, and we import the rugs for the trade, primarily to interior designers. Lovely. And I'm putting my hand up right now to be your a volunteer to go with you on the next round of uh, trips <laughs> when you need to check on product. That sounds lovely. How often do you, do you get to travel and see firsthand how things are being woven and that whole experience? Well, with COVID, it's been not very frequent for the past, you know, not at all, actually, for the past few years. But prior to that, it's kind of like every other year, you know, Um, but so much of our work can be done uh, via email and online now that it's not as critical like any other business to to be right there um, in order to make the business work. How did you end up uh, tapping into this as your niche, you and your husband? Well, about 15 years ago in 2008, um, my husband and I both lost our jobs and we decided that we needed to do something different. And I had been spending a lot of my free time 
um, I had been a, a career counselor uh, for a number of years and had spent a lot of my free time down in my basement studio putting color texture and pattern together making quilts because I had learned how to quilt as a young person uh, from my grandmother and my great aunt out in Idaho. And um, I just decided that I was going to design a rug for my dining room. So I went to Joanne Fabrics one day and I picked embroidery threads for color and I designed a pattern and determined the size and I wired a bunch of money to somebody in Nepal that I'd never met. <laughs> I just oh. had got Naples Yellow Pages online and found one of the many carpet manufacturers in Kathmandu. And so I sent him a bunch of money and I hoped for the best. And about three months later, American Airlines Cargo at the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport, where I lived at the time, uh, called and said, we have this big package for you. And so my husband and I drove out there and we got the rug and unwrapped it. And it was just as I had envisioned it. So it was really a fun experience, brought it home. And as I think a lot of entrepreneurs experience, um, my friends and family were like, oh, you should do this as a business. You know, this is so wonderful. And in my family, you know, art had been more of a, a hobby than a business. Right. So it took me a while to kind of get over that hurdle. But once I did and started designing, I just fell in love with creating rug patterns. And, and uh, you know, I thought it would be um, easier to sell to the trade as opposed to retail because I wasn't really a trained interior designer. And I didn't know a lot about putting a room together, but I knew how to create a rug. So I thought it'd be great to collaborate with the designer, the interior designer, um, and help them, you know, create their vision for their room by placing the foundation on the floor. And has that proven to be true? Has it, it proven that interior design professionals are easier to work with perhaps than direct to consumer? I think so. Um, it definitely has. Um, you know, but purchasing, uh, most of our rugs are hand knotted in Nepal. Um, purchasing a hand knotted rug is a big investment. And all of our rugs are custom. We don't stock anything. They're all bespoke. So for um, for the homeowner who's not maybe necessarily professionally trained in design, um, it's a big it's a big risk. And I don't you know know that a lot of people would really want to take that risk. Well, certainly not not the risk you took off the bat. I I'm not sure I would have had the courage to transfer some money to Nepal and hope for the best. But yeah. it turns out yeah. that you you had some kind of inkling this was going to be part of your story. And I, I actually really appreciate this origin story. So once you and your husband launched your business and things are going well, how is it that you decided, I'm assuming that you decided to build a community of rug makers and weavers? What what was the feelings that led to you guys wanting to do that? Well, um, you know, I guess in some ways it's connected to the fact that we adopted our daughter from South Korea. And, um, you know, we had traveled to Asia on a number of occasions. Um, I had just a great love for that part of the world. Um, not only the people, but also the um, aesthetic, the design aesthetic in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know, I just felt like they were kind of, you know, my people. And so um, I really felt very passionate about uh, finding um, a community of weavers that um, where I could 
you know, where they not only could they deliver a quality, beautiful rug for us, but I could help them earn more of a li- of a livable wage um, because historically the women weavers in Afghanistan, for example, you know, they weave these rugs in their home. They're painstaking efforts. They spend a lot of time. Oftentimes they're mentoring their daughters into the profession. And then they take the rugs to the local market and the Pakistani brokers who are primarily men, if not all men, um, come to the market, purchase the rugs, and then sell the rugs to, you know, the U.S. and Canada and Europe and other parts of the world where there's demand for these rugs. And the brokers, you know, the male brokers are making all the money and the women are just making, you know, not much. And so I wanted to find a way to connect directly with the women so that they could earn, um, you know, more money, a more of a livable wage to, you know, support their families. I'm I'm sure that has been so gratifying, but are there any particular stories that come to mind about some of the weavers you've worked with and how their circumstances may have changed? Well, one of the um, things that we did from the very beginning of, of starting our business in 2008 was we uh, became a licensed importer with Goodweave, which is a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., and they are working to... Um, reduce child labor in the rug making industry um, in Southeast Asia. I mean, believe it or not, there's still close to 250,000 children who are losing their education and their childhoods, you know, their early education and childhoods to the loom. They're working on the loom and it's, you know, an enforced kind of labor. And um, Goodweave is, is, you know, helping to make that a lot better in addition to um, improving sustainability in the rug making industry and so forth. So, um, you know, we've had, I guess I don't have any, you know, specific person that I can talk about, but we feel very good about the fact that the money that we're donating as a percentage of our profits each year to Goodweave is helping to create schools and community services and other, you know, good things in the weaving communities. And we can um, we can assist in this, right, by asking for that name brand to be part of the products we're purchasing. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, when I go to Costco, for example, you know, certain times of the year, they'll bring in tons and tons of rugs. And I just kind of shudder because I know in my heart that there were a lot of kids that were involved in in making, you know, these, some of these rugs anyway. I mean, it's not a put down of Costco per se, but, you know, there's certain um, supply chains where there is no oversight on who's making the product. And that's just really important to me. So when you're purchasing a rug, if you look for the Goodweave sticker on the back of the rug, then you can be insured, assured that um, no child labor was used in making that rug. We all have to advocate for ourselves as we're making these purchases, right, and dig around and ask questions. It's very often difficult to figure out where something is made and how it's made and what are the ethics behind the product. But one thing for sure, if it's so inexpensive, it's hard to believe there's a very good bet it hasn't been made through chains that you'd want to support. That's exactly exactly right. And, um, you know, I think... You know, most people want to do the right thing and 
you know, improve sustainability and all that good stuff, but it does come at a cost. And so we have to be making decisions with our pocketbook that, um, you know, we feel are the right ones for our future. I've gotten bolder as I've gotten um, older, <laughs> nice little rhyme I did there. Uh, when I speak to clients and I'll say, you know, I yes, we probably could find a chair that's less expensive than this one, but it's just I'm not going to get into that category of goods because I mm-hmm. don't know anything about the manufacturing process and the ethics behind the product. And often the clients will go, oh, 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 okay. Like they never thought about it before. Yeah, yep. Exactly. I think it's an education process. And, um, and as I said, I think most people do want to do the right thing. Maybe they just haven't thought about it before, like you said. This started for you as a passion, but ultimately it has to be a business that is sustainable and supports your lifestyle and all those kinds of things. So how have you guys grown in the last so many years that you've been uh, working together, you and your husband? Well, you know, it's interesting. When we first started, we were in Minneapolis and um, I, you know, lived in a a suburb called Edina and I used to drive to to Target um, with my daughter. And every time we would drive to Target, we would see um, this big design firm. It was the largest, probably one of the largest design firms in the Twin Cities. And I would say to my daughter, that's my biggest client. Now, this was before I ever had a single order from this firm. And I just, you know, visualized that in my mind. I visualized that outcome. Um, my dad, when I was a kid, his favorite book was Psycho-Cybernetics. And, you know, he taught me that process of vis- visualization. So um, I started going into that design firm and I probably went in, you know, five or six times and the designers there didn't really know me very well. I brought a few samples along and they would sort of roll their eyes and, and, oh, here she comes again. But then like the seventh time or whatever, I went in, the owner uh, looked at me and she said, oh, Julie, I'm really glad you're here because we have a project for you. Um, Our client um, who lives in Hattiesburg, Mississippi has a home down there and he, he and his wife need Uh, a rug and they want it to be some sort of a peacock design uh, because the wife saw a peacock like rug at a friend's home and she loved it but she could she didn't want the same rug because she didn't want to copy her friend so I went home that night and I created kind of a peacock medallion design and brought it back to this woman the next day and she said oh that's really beautiful Uh, let me show my client and she did and the client loved it fortunately and she said And the designer said, and oh, by the way, we have six other rugs that we need for this client. This was, by the way, my very first order for my business. (laughs) No. Oh, my gosh. But I'm so impressed that you had the the stick-to-itiveness to keep going back the seventh time. I'm I'm a kind of a quitter, I think, after a rejection or two. Well, thank you. I, I I just knew that I had to make a go of this. And it was just like in my heart. And so, um, so she said, come back on Friday and we'll have, you know, the deposit check ready for you. And I was all excited. You know, I had my bottle of Santa Margarita or whatever. I was going to bring the team and we're going to have a little glass of wine and the whole bit. And I got a call that Thursday and one of, from one of her, uh, design designers on her team. And she said, Julie, I'm really sorry, but, um, there's been a 
a delay on the project. And so my bubble was burst. But then about two months later, she came into my studio. And in the meantime, I'd opened up a little studio at International Market Square in Minneapolis, which is the design center there for interior design. And um, this designer came in and she said, we're back on. It's a go. And um, that was, again, that was like my very, very first um, order for my business. And from there... Uh, you know, we opened up a, a showroom at the um, design center in Minneapolis. We started hiring sales reps. Um, we one of my sales reps um, had sold uh, bedding and linens to the U.S. State Department, and she introduced us to the design team there. And so we now have rugs in over 26 countries because um, the we do rugs for the embassy, the U.S. embassies and the consular general's residences for the design the design team, and um, so that's just like kind of a short in a nutshell from the very beginning to sort of where we are now. Although we did just relocate to Arizona and we've just entered this market and had a really exciting thing happen about two months ago. Um, I entered one of my designs into the design awards contest for the Arizona chapter of ASID. And um, I, it's kind of a funny story. I was um, at the design awards gala by myself, new to the community, didn't really know that many people. Um, my husband and I had not received our, our shipment of our stuff from um, North Carolina, where we were living prior to this. And so this was a like kind of a black tie event. Well, I didn't have any black tie clothes. So I wore white jeans and a black silk shirt to this event, thinking there's no chance on earth that I'm going to win anything. Well, I'm sitting there at the table, and they're announcing the, the third place, second place, and then the first place winner for rugs, tiles, and textiles. And they announced my name, and I actually won first place oh. for one of my designs. So wow. I had to walk up on stage in my in my ill-aligned outfit for the night. But it was really an exciting um, kind of culmination to a lot of things that have gone on for the past 15 years. I love that. I'm sure everybody in the audience was like, oh, she's so knows. She's talented. Look how she dressed. She just played <laughs> no, it so cool. <laughs> I love that. Um, what advice would you give to anyone listening who's thinking of starting a side hustle? I would say um, tapping into your passion for me was the hardest part of the whole process. But if you if you can tap into your passion, pursue it. And don't worry about, you know, how much money you're, you're going to make or any of that stuff. Just go with the flow. Go with your heart and your passion. And the your success will follow. If you're persistent and you really love it and you really want to make a go of it, you will be successful. Great advice. We like to end every episode with something we call design intervention. So I'm going to ask you for some more advice right now. What's a good piece of business advice that you've learned? Well, I would say... Um, I do have an MBA, so I have some business training in my background. Um, but I, I mean, we grew our business, my husband and I, um, 
totally organically. We did not borrow any money. We did not have any investors. And if you can do it that way, it's a great way to go. If you can not borrow money and not get any, any other investors and just grow your business organically and keep your eye on the bottom line as you go, um, that is much better, in my opinion, than doing it the other way around. That would be my my thought. I think that's really important advice. I sometimes am just amazed when I hear that a designer who's barely gotten started is going to be borrowing money. And I think this is certainly as an interior design professional, this is one career you don't need to borrow money to, to get started. You can get started and earn your way to where you want to be. So that's really great advice. Thank you so much. Everybody check out the website, julie-rugs.com. Is that correct? That's correct. And thank you so much, Julie. Thanks so much, Kim. Good to talk with you. Thanks for listening and supporting the BOD mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. If you're ready to implement an exact business model for running a streamlined, profitable business, field tested by thousands of design professionals around the world, head to businessofdesign.com and get started today. It's time to dramatically improve your business and transform your life.